because Helen had a word right at the end that uh, kind of fits with what I'm going to be talking about, so we'll let her talk, then I'll talk, and then God will do what God does, and it'll be good. Hi, as we're praying, I got a picture of a baby spoon. And if you're familiar with baby spoons, they are. The bowl is kind of thick to protect. It's, it's because you don't, you're afraid to hurt the baby's mouth. So there's this thick plastic coating on that, the bowl of the spoon. But the thicker the coating, the less food you can actually get into the baby's mouth. And I feel like what the Lord was saying is that, you know, we have a choice about how thick that coating can be, but there's going to be less food. So the more fear that we keep, the less, the more security we want, you know, um, the less food we're actually going to be able to have on that spoon. So it's yeah. I like that because it fits where I'm going. If you get out your notes, you'll see that. We're going to start a new series this morning. Uh, it's going to be a five-part series on one short verse. Uh, I'm because uh, pastors can do that. They can, they can talk for five weeks on something it took Paul only one sentence to say. Uh, no, he comments on it later, that's why. We'll go other places. But uh, we're going to be talking about 2 Timothy 1, 7. Super familiar verse. Uh, probably everyone here, uh, if, if not, has heard it, has memorized it, um, has quoted it maybe, has used it in spiritual warfare. Want to make sure we understand it. Um, just this is just where I felt like I wanted to go. Uh, particularly in this time, I feel like there's really an attack of fear, and I think I was going to set people free from fear this morning. So we're going to go back into uh, a ministry time afterwards. And I just really believe uh, there's going to be some breaking off of fears. So, but Second Timothy one seven says simply, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, that word fear, some of your translations will say a spirit of timidity. Uh, some might even say uh, a cowardly spirit. Uh, this is not the spirit of God. This is another spirit. There is a spirit of fear. We'll talk more about that next week. Um, but what I want you to get is that he says we've been given a spirit, the Holy Spirit of power and of love, and of a sound mind. It's a threefold impartation. This is not just what the Holy Spirit does. This is who the Holy Spirit is. And it's important that we know what spirit we are of. And here's what I mean by that. We're going to learn in the weeks to come that it's important that we balance all three of these attributes, not just pick one that we like. God has given me a spirit of power. Oh, well, he's given me a spirit of love. Well, he's given me a spirit of a sound mind. And we've done this. Individuals have done this. Churches have done this. I submit to you that there are individuals and churches out there who have so majored, for example, on love that uh, they've skipped the sound mind part. And, and love is love and... Uh, you know, we'll kind of ignore those things God said about those activities because we're majoring on love. There, there are uh, churches and individuals who've so majored on the sound mind part, get your T's crossed, get your I's dotted, that they, uh, they offend people with their sound mind. They don't love people. 
And they maybe don't even care about the power. They just care about doing it right. Right? There are people that have so bought into the spirit of power that they're frankly a little crazy. And uh, they need to balance out the sound mind part. Right? Now, I don't want to have to pick. I don't want to have to say... Because you're crazy, we're not going to do that. Or because you're annoying, we're not going to do that. Or because, uh, uh, you know, you just want to love, we're not going to do this. Do you understand the balance? We got to get all three of these going. We got to get all of our cylinders operating here. So we see this in Scripture early on with a couple of the disciples who were a little bit out of balance. In Luke 9, uh, Peter, I'm sorry, uh, not Peter. It's usually Peter. Uh, in Luke 9, James and John, the sons of thunder, uh, they've just come out of a Samaritan town that rejected Jesus. And they've been reading the Bible. They've read the Old Testament. They know how this is supposed to happen. And they go, hey, Jesus, you want us, the sons of thunder, to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? Because this is biblical, right? Right? And Jesus' answer to them is what? Hey, guys, you don't know what spirit you are of. I find it interesting they didn't say you can't do that because they could. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. You got the power of God cylinder working great, but you, you don't have the love thing going on at all. And the sound mind thing is lacking. You don't understand my purposes here with the Samaritans. So hang in there. We'll work this out. Guys, we do this. And so it's important that we get all three of these. How many of you, again, I don't, don't, don't tell stories. How many of you have experience with a church or an individual or a group who majors so hard on one of these three that it's hard to be around them? And yet they love Jesus. Yeah. Okay, I'm seeing heads nod. No one wants to raise their hands. It's all right. <laughs> Yeah, and don't say anything about whether they're in your family or they're here right now. Just, you know. Thanks. Federico's here right now. All right. So, but before we get into balancing these, let's talk about, before we talk about what the Holy Spirit is, let's talk about what He's not. He is not a spirit of fear. Never fear. Never fear. Now, again... You'd think this would be simple, but human nature, we don't get this. He does not motivate with fear. I love Romans, and by that I mean punishment. Okay? There are probably people here, if you're honest with yourself, that are occasionally afraid God's going to punish you. Right? Again, don't raise your hands. We know there's people in the church that walk in this fear that God's going to punish them. This is not biblical. I want to make sure we understand this. I love Romans 2.4. It's in the context of Paul talking about not judging others. And he says, do you despise the goodness and the patience of God? Don't you understand that it's his goodness that leads to repentance? It's his goodness that causes us to want to repent and be more like him? Are you sure? Because I've had preachers tell me 
It's the fear of God that causes people to repent. It's his goodness, really. Paul's asking the question, uh, does this bother you? Does it, are you? Does anyone here, does it bother you when God is, is patient and kind to someone you're judging? Am I the only one? I'm, guys, I'm not kidding. Have you never caught yourself being annoyed because God's blessing someone that, that is genuinely doing stupid stuff and torquing you off? I have. Paul would say, do you despise? Do you hate the goodness of the Lord? Don't you get that it's his goodness that eventually that he's trying to bring that person to repentance? The very thing you want, it's not going to happen because you're pissed at him. It's going to happen because God's good to him. We've got to get this, that God motivates. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He motivates with his goodness and with his love not as punishment. Now, there's going to be some people already composing emails in your head. (laughs) So I'm just going to go ahead and answer those right now. There are some terms we need to come to grips with in the New Testament. I've mentioned the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is real, right? But I want you to consider this. Uh, Do we need to fear the Lord? Yes. And we argue over what that definition means. Does it mean reverence? Does it mean terror that the Lord will punish you? I don't think it means that. Here's why. In Isaiah 11.3, Jesus, it says, engages in the fear of the Lord. I don't think Jesus was ever worried about getting punished, ever. At first, you know, Mary was probably looking for something. I got to punish this kid too, but he won't do anything wrong. Jesus wasn't worried about being punished, but he, he engaged in the fear of the Lord. In fact, it says he delighted in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is delightful, or it's supposed to be. Now, the only thing I can see that Jesus did was only what he saw the Father doing. So the only thing I can conclude for my definition of the fear of the Lord is that the fear of the Lord is being afraid to do anything apart from partnership with the Father. I think that's what the fear of the Lord is, because Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord, and he only did what he saw the Father doing. I think the fear of the Lord is just being afraid to go it alone without the Father, to not be partnered with God, okay? So that can be delightful. How about the terror of the Lord? That's a biblical term. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, It talks about the terror of the Lord. The context of that verse is is how we've been given a ministry of reconciliation and that we tell people about Jesus because we know how terrifying it will be to be before the judgment seat of God and not have known him. So that's for lost people. Or in Hebrews 10, it talks about uh, how it's a terrible thing uh, to fall into the hands of the living God, or it's a fearful thing fall into the hands of the living God. That, in context, is about people who have chosen willfully to rebel against Jesus. So, is the terror of the Lord real? Yes, if you're lost or if you're a rebellion, if you're in rebellion. If you're neither of those two things, it does not apply to you. If you are a believer who is accepted in the Beloved, The terror of the Lord, those verses don't apply to you. 
You have to be lost or be rebellious for them to be applied to you. Do you understand where I'm going here? We got to get this. The discipline of the Lord. Does he discipline? Absolutely. But Hebrews 12 tells us it is a mark of his love. He doesn't look for opportunities to punish because he's mad. He's not an angry parent. He's disciplining because he loves us and he's bringing us into a greater depth of the knowledge of him. Right? Where in here is fear of God punishing us? You guys see it? We got to get this. Now, I hit that hard because I believe that's a problem. I believe that uh, we, we can doctrinally say this is true, but our gut reaction when we screw up is, oh, man. Uh, or we actually do this. We actually have people that tell us, well, that thing happened because you did this, and God's punishing you. All right? You heard that? Guys, it's not biblical. God disciplines his children. Uh, he doesn't... Uh, he doesn't try and make his children fearful of his punishment. Period. All right. We'll see if we can get this worked into us as we go. All right. So let's begin to jump into the verse. Now, the background on this is Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's writing from prison in Rome. He's been in prison in Rome. He will, he will uh, end up being beheaded uh, there. Uh, and he's writing to Timothy who we know from different passages in First and Second Timothy, that Timothy is a young man, that he is a beloved son. Now, he's not literally Paul's son, but Paul is, uh, he, he, there's not a lot, of, there's a mention of his mother and his grandmother who are believers, but not his father, so you kind of get the feeling he didn't have a father around. And uh, Paul has taken him, he's traveled with Paul, Paul has discipled him, he's a son in ministry, he's a son in love, and uh, he's a beloved son of Paul. And here's the kicker. He is the pastor of the Ephesian church. Now, guys, that's the big church in town, at least in Asia Minor. Ephesus was a modern and large city. This would be a large church. This would be a prominent church. Uh, he was a prominent pastor. Young guy, pastor in a big church in Ephesus. All right? So I want you to get that. And Paul's writing him these letters. And Paul writes to him about fear, which begs the question, what is the fear in Timothy, pastor of a big, prosperous church, what is the fear in Timothy that Paul is addressing? And I want to submit to you that Paul is addressing two fears that each and every one of us will have to address if we're going to walk with Jesus, all right? So we'll get there. Uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to look at this passage in context, but not in order, uh, I'm going to look at all the verses around it, but I'm going to jumble them all up uh, because uh, I want to, anyway, that's what I'm going to do, deal with it. So, um, I want to start because Paul does all this in the context of Timothy's calling. Calling is a big deal. We have to know our calling and that we're called. And so, uh, Paul is saying these things, he's addressing these fears in the context of Timothy's calling. And so he says this, in verse 9, a couple verses after, he says how God has saved us and called us with a holy calling. He at least here means Timothy and himself. I want to suggest 
that he means all of us. And if you don't agree with me, it's okay. We'll go to Ephesians where he clearly means all of us, so we'll get there. Uh, he has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, hang on to your seats, before time began. How's that for wild? That's some sci-fi stuff right there, man. God called him before time began. Before time began, he knew about Paul and he knew about Timothy and he knew about their calling and he was prepared and working it into his plan. That'll make you think. Now, the other thing I want you to get out of this, we're going to come back to it, is Paul's careful to point out that this is not according to works, this is according to Jesus' purpose and grace. Grace, not works. Grace, not works. Grace, not works. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that. So, what I want you to see here is that all believers have a prepared calling. What does that mean for you? You have a calling that God prepared before time began. And the only question is whether or not you're going to walk in it. we got to get this. This is important stuff. We've got to get that we're all called. Uh, the easiest place to see this is in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest we should boast. Works, grace. Works, grace. It says it again. Then he goes on and he says, For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, apparently before time began. God prepared works for you to walk in. Do you understand the implications of this? You have a calling. Now, I want to make sure you understand this because we use the term secular uh, to divide the holy from the natural or world stuff. And so, uh, my calling, uh, because I'm a pastor, uh, is a holy calling, but your calling might be a secular calling. Is that true? No. What did it say? It said he called us with a holy calling. Can secular callings be holy callings? Yes. Got to get it. Absolutely. So let's say we pick randomly 100 people that are called by the Lord. Uh, how many, or 100 people that are saved. you got 100 Christians. Let's do the math. 100 Christians. How many of those Christians have a holy calling? 100. Very good. You guys are brilliant. <laughs> now, maybe five of them are going to earn their living on the mission field or being a pastor or a worship leader or something like that, right? So maybe five of them have a job in the church. That means 95% of those people have a holy calling in a secular job. Right? Do you understand the implications of this? It's just as holy. The pay is the same. Well, the pay may even be better on earth. But in heaven, the pay is the same. You're not rewarded according to what you accomplished. You're rewarded according to what you, uh, whether or not you did what Jesus gave you to do, what you did with the talents he gave you. Whether that's in church, 
whether that's at Harris. You understand? We got to get this. Holy callings. Because it's really important that we tap into our calling, that we know what our calling is given to us before time began. And so uh, that calling might manifest itself here at church, even though you're not on staff. Uh, it might be something as simple as encouragement or service or mercy. And you just go, my calling is to just make sure I'm encouraging people wherever I go. My calling is to look for people that are discouraged and to show them mercy. Right? That's valid. It is just as important as any and every other calling. Even if your calling is just, and I say just with parentheses, uh, to raise kids well for Jesus. That is a holy calling. I'm a stay-at-home mom. That's my holy calling. I'm raising kids for Jesus. We've got to see what God has given us to do as holy callings. And we've got to tap into those. All right? So I want you to see uh, that we all have one. All of us have one. And uh, Paul is talking to Timothy in the context of his calling. Now, if you don't know what your calling is, Ask God. Only God can tell you. But I will tell you this, two things. It's probably something you like, and it's probably something you're good at, or at least a little good at, because God isn't mean, and he's not going to make you do something you're terrible at that you don't like just because he can. He prepared your calling before time began to fit you, who he made. You're his workmanship. You also are prepared for those good works, right? So it's something you like, something you're probably a little good at. Doesn't have to be, we don't have to compare. Are you with me? All right. I know this sounds like basic stuff because I'm afraid that the church hasn't gotten this. And so I'm, I'm hitting it hard because I want us to get it. Now, both of those verses, he said it's by God's grace, not by works. And this also I want us to get. By grace, not by works, means we don't perform, we partner. Let me say that again. We don't perform for God. We partner with God. Simple statement, huge implications. And our human nature is to perform for God. And to feel like we're failing if we don't. Right? So... In Romans 8, Paul addresses this again uh, with the spirit we've been given. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. When were they in bondage? In fear. Yeah. Well, us before we were saved. But he's talking to uh, people who know the Old Testament. He's talking about uh, the Old Covenant, right? Remember? The old covenant, they came out of slavery. Uh, you had to be, you had, I'd have been a little nervous living in the old covenant. You don't do things right, and other nations come and attack you, and you get taken to Babylon, right? Because uh, they weren't under grace yet. They were under the law that was to show them the need for grace so that they could put faith in Jesus and be saved. But they weren't there yet. They were, uh, there was a, a genuine fear of not performing properly before God. So he's saying, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again 
to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In the New Testament, you are not working for God. You have been made a part of the family. You have been accepted in the beloved. You're in the family business. Now, when you're a partner in the business, that is way different, and especially when you're a partner in the business that has your name on it, and you're part of the family, that is way different than being an employee. You understand? You don't have to worry about getting fired. You just have to worry about not screwing up the whole business. Right? So that's what he's saying here, guys. We are not performing. We are partnering. And if we get this, if we get that we're not performing, that we're partnering, then we can get our calling, we can be comfortable in our calling, and we can be confident. Paul goes on. That was verse 9 where he talked about Timothy's calling. In verse 11 and 12, he talks about his calling. And listen to what Paul says. He says, to which I also was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. He said, Timothy, I know what I'm called to do. I'm called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to teach them. I know my calling. And he says, because of this, for this reason, because I know my calling, I also suffer these things. Remember, he's in jail. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. I want to tell you what Paul's saying here is, Timothy, look, I know it looks bad. I'm in jail. I'm not out doing the church planning thing that I was doing, but I know my calling and because I know my calling, I'm confident in the Father's love. I'm confident in my partnership with Him. I am right where I need to be. Right? Now, other people might evaluate that and go, Paul, you made a mistake. You're called to be an evangelist to the Gentiles. When you were talking to the Jews in Jerusalem, if you had just stopped and not mentioned that you were called to be an evangelist to the Gentiles, they wouldn't have freaked out and had you put in jail, and you wouldn't be in Rome right now. You could be in Asia Minor planting more churches, Paul. Paul says, nope. I'm in jail because I obeyed God. I'm not looking at my circumstances to tell me whether or not I'm succeeding in my calling. I'm looking at my obedience. I did what I was supposed to do, said what I was supposed to say. If I have a jail ministry, that's my calling. Right? Now, people who look at his circumstances and, uh, you know, maybe are, are church growth experts might have given him different advice. Right? You with me? See, here's how you can tell whether you're a performer or a partner. Performers evaluate based on the outcome. How many seats are here this morning? How much are we growing this year? How many this? How many that? How we doing? How's, how, what's our feedback? How, what's our, we've got 4.3 stars. How we doing? Right? That's performance. Performance evaluate outcome. Partners evaluate obedience. I only have two questions that I need answers to from God, really. God, am I where you want me? Doing what you want me to do. That's it. That's all I need. I can obey that. I'm kind of comforted. It's kind of freeing that Church on the Rock is 
built by his grace, not my works. Right? I start thinking it's about my works. I start thinking that success is uh, how much we grow. I might start making foolish decisions like, how do I grow? How do I make more people want to sit here? Not my job. God's job. I don't think God even wants me to define what success is. It's his church. He gets to define success. I don't think it's numbers. I think there are big churches that aren't successful and small churches that are, and vice versa. Success is obedience, not performance. Now, I'm applying this to church, but I hope you can apply this to whatever you're calling Success is just doing what you're told to do. It doesn't matter if we grow to be 500 or 50. Uh, 50 would, you know, be the opposite of growth. If God tells me to pastor here and to do it this way, I have to pastor here and do it this way. Right? You understand. You understand the freedom there is with that. So when you are nervous about whatever calling God has given you, there's tremendous freedom in going, it's God's grace. The results are his problem. I just have to partner with him. I don't have to perform for him. I don't have any performance goals I have to check off by the end of the year. I just, God told me to do this, I do this. I leave the results to him. Now we try not to do stupid things and screw up. God does want us to not work against him, but you understand what I'm saying. Is this making sense? Okay, so this is why I believe Paul is saying all of this to Timothy in the context of his calling. He's reminding Timothy of his calling, and he's reminding him that it's by grace, not works, that we are not performing for God. We are partnering with God in something he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. You with me? All right, then, let's look at the two fears that Paul is addressing. One is the verse immediately before verse 7. One is the verse immediately after verse 7. Uh, the one after is easier to see, but the one before, I think I can make a good case for. So, in verse 6, Paul says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So, he says, Timothy, you've got to stir up that gift. I believe that Paul is addressing in Timothy uh, the fear of failure. Timothy has to overcome the fear of failure to fulfill his calling. It's that performance mentality. I believe the reason Paul's going to his calling is he's saying, Timothy, I remind you, stir up the gifting. It's by grace. You're pastoring by grace. Stir up that gifting. Don't be afraid, Timothy, to be who you are. Don't be afraid to walk in your gifting. Just walk in your gifting, Timothy. Walk in your calling, Timothy. Stir it up. The reason I think that Timothy, like all of us, had a fear of failing, of not living up. One, he's a young guy pastoring a big, prominent church. That's got to be scary, right? Don't you think? Would, how many of you would just immediately go, sure, I'll pastor that great big church with people with all kinds of opinions? And Yeah. And two... Because Paul keeps reminding him. This is 2 Timothy. Let's jump back to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12 through 14. Hey, Timothy, let no one despise your youth. I know you're young, 
don't let them look down on you because you're young. Just be an example, Timothy. Uh, be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do your calling, Timothy. Keep doing your calling. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which is given to you by the prophecy, by the laying out of my hands. Now, he wouldn't tell Timothy not to neglect his gift and to stir his gift up if Timothy couldn't neglect his gift or didn't need to stir his gift up. I think Timothy, like all of us, felt overwhelmed sometimes by the job and needed encouragement from Paul. Hey, keep going. Don't be afraid of failing. Remember, you're not performing for God. You're just partnering with him. He's got the church in Ephesus. You just keep doing your calling, Timothy. You just keep doing your gifting. Does this make sense? I think that's going on because that was kind of my experience. Uh, see, God, it doesn't matter if you're good enough at what God's called you to do. Uh, in fact, you're probably not. He seems to enjoy calling us to do stuff that we kind of like and are kind of good at, but really not good enough at because it leaves room for him to make us gooder. It doesn't matter if you're good enough. The only thing that matters is if you're called to this prepared work. Now, I experienced this when I started in ministry. I'll tell the story as quickly as I can. I got saved just after college. I came over to Florida Tech to do some grad work. Decided I wanted to teach high school. I didn't want to be poor before, but now that I'm saved, felt like it was spiritual. So, uh, so I'm teaching high school at O'Galley. Taught there for two years, coaching sports. And uh, it's in the winter, and God tells me, I've been attending this church for uh, a year. And I'm, I'm like two and a half years old in the Lord, right? Or two years old in the Lord. And God tells me, you're not going to be teaching next year. You're going to be at this church. And I, I'm just young enough and foolish enough. I went, okay. Now, keep in mind, let me list my qualifications for you. I've never been in a youth group. I think I've visited one two or three times. I've never had a Bible class. I'm saved. I've been reading my Bible and praying a lot. And I've been leading a fellowship of Christian athletes group at O'Galley High School. Those are my, that is the extent of my qualifications. And in May, a job comes open for youth pastor, singles pastor. And I went, well, that must be what God meant. So I applied and he gave me the job. All right? Yes. And a year later... A year later, I'm having my one-year evaluation, and Pastor Randy and Pastor Jim sit me down. They basically say, as nicely as they can, we're content with how things look after the first year, but we won't be content if they look like this after the second year. So it was a really polite way of saying, you don't know what you're doing, get better. <laughs> right? Now, everything in me went, I know how to teach high school. And I know how to coach. And the money was better anyway. I actually took a pay cut for, you know, pastoring from teaching. Uh, still have my teaching certificate. I, I taught math and physics and could coach three sports. I can get a job in any decent-sized city in this country. They're, they're crying for teachers that, that aren't gym teachers that can coach. So uh, I, it's so easy to just go back 
and do what I'm good at. I had one problem. You know what it was? I knew God put me here. I knew God told me to do this. I was a little torqued off, to be honest. And I went, dang it. I want to quit, but I can't quit. I know God called me to this. So I started taking youth pastors to lunch, and I learned how to be a youth pastor, and that was 37 years ago. And here I am. Right? Yeah. Absolutely, by God's grace, not my works. I did not know what I was doing. And I learned. But it turns out I was doing something I kind of liked and could be kind of good at. Right? I was teaching anyway, teaching math, teaching the Bible. I just like teaching. Right? You understand what I'm saying here, guys? I think Timothy went through what we all go through, the fear of failure, fear of not living up to the calling that God had given him. The fear, most of the time, God will give us a calling initially that's too big for us. And so here's my thing. I, because we all have a holy calling, all of us, I want a church, I put in your notes, I want a church full of people with a Philippians 3, 13 through 14 mentality. Philippians 3, 13 through 14, Paul says, hey, I haven't arrived, I haven't apprehended, but one thing I do, I forget those things that are behind me, and I reach forward, I press forward to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let me retranslate. I, I screw up a lot. But I, I learn from it. I don't look back. I just keep going after my calling. I just keep going after my calling. I just keep going after my calling. I want a church where every single person in there, when you greet them on Sunday morning, hey, what you been doing this week? Just going after my calling. Amen. Right? So you got any plans here for church? Just going to go after my calling. Just going to call to encourage people. I'm going to find somebody to encourage. Oh, yeah, I'm called to serve. I'm going to find something to do. What if we all did that? I want a church full of people. Really, it'd get me out of a job. That's what Ephesians 4 says, that the five-fold ministry exists until we come to the fullness of Christ, until each one by doing his share, right? So work me out of a job. Feel free. I want a church full of people that are just going, I'm forgetting what's behind, and I'm going for my calling. I know my calling, and I'm going for it. And I'm learning where I need to learn. So Timothy had to overcome... Fear of failure to fulfill his calling, you will have to overcome a fear of failing God. You can't fail God unless you break the partnership. That's the only way you can fail God. Say, I don't want to be a partner anymore because it's not about performance. Have I beat that drum enough? Second thing we find in verse 8 Timothy had to overcome the fear of man to fulfill his calling, the fear of rejection. The fear of persecution. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be misunderstood, Timothy. People are going to misunderstand. They're not going to like it. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me. Being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord means I'm afraid when someone says, well, I'm this or I'm that or I'm doing it this way. I'm a, I'm a little bit ashamed to go, well, God says No. Timothy, don't be ashamed. Preach the word. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me 
in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. There's suffering involved. There just is suffering involved with serving Christ, with fulfilling our calling. Most of the time, it's just people not liking you, but there is suffering involved. And Paul says, Timothy, you're going to have to overcome the fear of man to fulfill your calling. You're going to have to put up with being misunderstood. Not just uh, the fear of man when you're following God, but uh, his association with Paul. I know what was going on because I know how things work. There are people at Ephesus going, hey, Timothy uh, listens online to Paul. Have you seen Paul's website? He says some sketchy stuff. I don't understand it. And uh, he's in jail. I mean, he's a criminal. I don't know if I can go to church where Timothy listens to Paul. Hmm. Have you ever heard that one? It's going on, isn't it? And Timothy has to decide. Rejection, persecution, misunderstood. All right? Guys, all of us, if we are going to fulfill our calling, are going to have to overcome the fear of failure, that performance mentality that we are so naturally driven to. All of us are going to have to come the fear of man because we're going to be misunderstood. People aren't going to agree. People are going to get bent. Sometimes it's family members. Bottom line, the devil will try to keep you from fulfilling your calling with fear. The devil will try to keep you from fulfilling your calling with fear. It's his best tool for doing it, and he will use it. And you have to not fall for it. Now, the remedy, thankfully, uh, we sang about this this morning, to fear is a spirit of love. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. See this in 1 John 4, which Jeremiah sung earlier. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Do not miss this. You get a revelation of God's love, and you begin to love others, begin to have grace to love others like He loves, it will make you bold. Love will make you bold. Love will make you bold. Love has been perfected among us in this way that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so we are in this world. We're just partners. I'm just as Jesus was in this world. As He is, so are we. We're, we're engaging in the glory. We're engaging in the suffering. It doesn't matter because we're partnering with the God Most High. As He is, so are we in this world. And so the things of the world just kind of begin to fade away when we get there. There is no fear in love. How much fear? Very good. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment or punishment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Let me just say it again. If you walk around fearing that God's going to punish you, you have not been made perfect in love. Stop it. Get a revelation of God's love for you. Believe what he said in his scriptures. Will he discipline you? Sure. Do hard things come in life? Yeah. Is there suffering? Yep. 
But God is not out to punish you. God loves you. And there is no fear in love. And you can safely partner with him. And he will partner with you and walk with you even through the hard times. See, the revelation of his love and then the application of that, the imitation of his love. Remember Jesus said, love others as I have loved you. If we grow in that, what we will find naturally without even trying is we will begin to care less about the things I talked about, about failure, about rejection, about persecution. If we focus on a growing revelation of God's love and a growing ability to love others, we will just start to care less about failing. I mean, how can I fail someone who's manly in love with me? All right? Ah, oh, God, I screwed that up. And he goes, I, I still really love you. Okay. Behind me, let's move on. So we deal with, you know, uh, Pastor, I really tried to love that person and be good to them. And they were just mean to me and took advantage of me. You start getting a revelation of God's love, you just go, I don't care. Take advantage of you all you want. I got so much love, I can, I can afford to waste some. I'll waste some on you. Even if you don't repay it. It just starts to matter less, doesn't it? All right? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's have the band come back up. This last 15 minutes or so, I feel like I just want to pray. Uh, I know for certain all of us to some degree uh, have in the past or are now dealing with the issues of the fear of man or the issues of the fear of failure. I know that because that's human nature, right? Right? Uh, so it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. It doesn't matter to what degree. We just want to get free. We need to get not just in our heads, in our spirit, that we are free from fear because God has made us free, that, that his love has set us free, that we don't have to be afraid of uh, God in that way. We don't have to be afraid of punishment from God. We don't have to fear men because it doesn't matter what they do. We have God's love to back us up. We're partnered with him. We don't have to fear uh, failure because we're not performing. We're just obeying, and the results are his problem. We can get free of all that, can't we? Amen. But it just takes change in our mindset to come along with the word of God. And so uh, as we begin to worship, uh, I'm just going to pray. And I just feel like uh, some of you are going to want to come up front. Feel free immediately to do that. I don't think anybody's going to have me pray, pray for you. If, if you, uh, you know, are struggling with one of these fear of man or fear of failure issues, feel free. Come up front and worship. If you're not and you're just going, I just want more of God's love, uh, feel free to come up front. If you're afraid to come up front, you probably should come up front because you know, that, that would be confronting the devil. But don't, don't perform for me. Don't do it because that. Do it. Just go, God, if, if there's something in you that goes, I want to go up front and worship and just deal with this thing. Or I just want to go up and ask for a greater revelation of God's love. We're going from glory to glory. None of us have arrived. None of us are totally free. Uh, 
like we need to be, but we're pushing. We're forgetting what's behind. We're pursuing our calling, right? This is basic stuff, but it's the basic stuff that we make mistakes in that screws us up for the big stuff. So let's worship. I'm going to pray, and uh, just stand with me. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're, we're just going to be free to engage God. Lord, I just say that you are good, that your goodness, that your goodness, that your love that leads us into obedience with you. Lord, we thank you that there is no thing, no performance that we could do that would be impressive to you since you have already prepared it all anyway. So Lord, we just rest in the freedom of partnering with you and leaving the results to you and just trying to obey the things you've given us to do. Lord, we trust in you to give us the grace to do them. Lord, I just, this morning, I just break off the lies. I break off the power of fear. I break off every spirit of fear in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. We just say no to the fear of failing. We say no to the fear of man. We say no to the fear of rejection. Say be broken in the name of Jesus. Or do we say yes, everyone in this room, we have said yes to your love, your perfect love that casts out fear. Fear cannot be here. Thank you, Jesus, for making us free in love, confident in the beloved. I just ask you now, Jesus, just to love your people, just to go ahead and express that love as we worship.